0: doing well this morning I know you're a little nervous you don't know me think okay new guy this is kind of weird don't worry about it many of you I don't uh, I haven't met before like Kurt said uh, uh, it's been a while since I've been here some of you I remember your faces but I forgot your names so and part of that's my age some of it's just been time but uh, please introduce yourself to me at the end of the message, and I would love to uh, get reacquainted. Um, For those of you who don't know my wife, Gail, we've been married 33 years this July, and uh, she's not with me, unfortunately, today. She is at our Washington location. She's in with the J Kids. She uh, loves kids, and she is absolutely uh, the most creative person I've ever met. And so when she's teaching kids, she is in her element, and so that's where she is, and I'm sure she's having a good time. As you deduce from what Jessica read this morning out of Colossians as we continue our series, uh, Above All, that we're dealing with the topic of parenting. Now, I know some of you, what you're thinking, uh, those of you who don't have children, maybe you're single, uh, maybe you're a grandparent, which, uh, if you're like me, that is the absolute best stage of life you could be in, and uh, your kids are already raised or whatever they're passed through the childbearing years, your tendency when you hear the particular topic you think okay that doesn't really apply to me I'll check that off I'll just kinda listen check the scores on my cell phone or whatever you want to do but I would encourage you not to do that because actually what we're going to find is in these two verses the implication or there's implication for all of us regardless of what phase you are in life if you're single uh, I may be using examples for parents but trust me they apply to you Uh, if your kids are older and grown once again Uh, there is application for you as well so you hang in there and you'll see very very clearly early on that that this will definitely apply to you so uh, I hope you'll you'll get something out of it when we talk about uh, parenting I was told years ago when I was first starting out in ministry there were a couple things that when you talk to people or when you help people there's a couple things that are uh, touchy subjects if you will one is money And the other is children, because people get really possessive about both those things. They're possessive about their money and they're possessive about their kids. So things can get kind of weird. The other thing that I've discovered is that when we deal with uh, scripture that talk about parenting or refer to parenting, we can at, at times take what I call a prescriptive approach to the scriptures. Because what I what I mean by that is like we're looking for the secret recipe. Are you with me? Because what we want to produce are obedient kids. And we just want the instructions, we want the recipe for how to make that happen. Because somewhere in the back of our mind, we think that we know what a normal, healthy, obedient child looks like. Although I've never seen a normal kid in my whole life. But yet we feel like we know what it looks like and we know that our two-year-old who's currently rolling on the floor throwing a temper tantrum in the checkout lane at Walmart does not represent that picture. And so our tendency is we're driven to this, to the outcome rather than the process. And so it's like, show me the recipe, show me what I need to do. How do I produce good kids? How do I get obedient kids? And we end up taking, once again, a prescriptive uh, uh approach to the scriptures and we, where we're looking for this particular recipe. And kids, they're, they're great. They have a tendency to remind those of us who are parents at the most inappropriate times that we're not such great parents as we think we are. Uh, a couple weeks ago, our youngest son, Zachary, some of you may know him, was married down in Joplin. That uh, young man next to Zachary is my grandson, Kale. Most of you would probably know him. He is Seth and Shannon's uh, son. He just turned three the other day. And uh, uh, Kale was the ring bearer in the wedding. Now, I've got to tell you something about this to set up this story, which I think you'll enjoy. And that is that Zachary married a gal who, she's a PK, she's a preacher's kid. And so I had a part to play in this wedding. Now, I have a confession to make. I don't like doing weddings. I see some of you out there have actually married you, and I apologize ahead of time. (laughs) But uh, weddings just make me nervous. Everybody, when you go to a wedding, things are kind of stiff. They're kind of formal. Everybody's dressed up. And, it just, and so I, just to try and loosen people up, I'll try and be funny. And when you try to be funny, you're usually not. And that doesn't go over very well. And I, just, I get clumsy. One time in the middle of a wedding, I drop the ring. And I'm watching this ring roll towards the vent in the floor. And I'm praying, dear Jesus, don't let it go down there. And uh, so I just, uh, weddings, I don't like to do. So Zach and Emily early on asked me, he said, hey, would you do a part of this wedding? And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And they said, why not? And I said, listen, when, when Seth got married, I just wanted to be with your mom. I just want to enjoy the moment. I didn't want to miss it with her. So I'd rather do that. No offense. I just don't really want a part to play in the thing. Well, they kept asking, and finally Gail said, look, you really need to do this and, you know, do it for them. And when your part's done, you can come and sit down with me. And so I said, okay, I'll do it. So they said, look, here's what we want you to do. We want Because obviously Tim was going to walk Emily down, and he had a part in the in the and he couldn't do anything there other than that. So I had to do that part of the wing. And then they wanted me to just share the good news of Jesus, share the gospel. What you think for a guy who spent most of his life in full-time ministry it would be fairly easy? But I'm telling you, I had to work and work and work, and I toiled and I labored and labored for weeks about what I was going to say. And I just thought, it was nuts, really. And so the big day came. We had the rehearsal. Cale and his uh, sister, older sister Adara, she was a flower girl. They knew exactly what to do. So we got to the part in the wedding where Tim gave Emily away. They moved up on the platform. I'm standing there. And I don't know if it was supposed to happen or what, but Adara, uh, uh, my granddaughter, Cale's sister, once the couple, uh, Zach and Emily, moved up, she went down to sit by Grandma, my wife, well, Cale saw what had happened, and he was supposed to leave with me when my part was done. He wanted to go sit by Grandma. So he starts taking off. Well, Seth is the best man, and Seth stops him and, and says, Cale, you need to stay here, and he's trying to do it quiet because I'm talking. And Cale does what most men do when they're corrected. He pouts. So his lip goes down, his head goes down, he does this. And it's a strange thing. I'm talking during this whole time. I've been working at this for weeks. This is my moment, okay? <laughs> and when you're talking, it's, it's a weird thing when you, when you, when you, when you talk, because you actually hear the words come out of your mouth, but you're thinking other things. And I'm watching this meltdown go, take place out of the corner of my eye, and I'm thinking, I could be saying you know, hickory dickory dock, and no one would be listening to me right now. And I thought, I wish I would have known this was happening. It saved me a lot, a lot of work. I wouldn't have had to prepare as much and all this kind of stuff. But for whatever reason, that's just the way it was. So he has this meltdown. Seth addresses it, works it out, and so it, he saved the day, and, and that's kind of how it ended up. But kids, at the most inappropriate time, they're constantly reminding us that we're not in control and that basically... You know, it's we're not the great parents that we oftentimes thought we were, and what happens once again? It drives us. We're, it's like we're motivated to find out, Well, I gotta, I gotta know how to fix this. I gotta know what, what's what's the recipe. Now, I just want to encourage you, whether you, uh, whether you're whether you're you're a parent, whether you're single or not, we can do this with all of Scripture. We can take what's called a prescriptive approach to the Scripture, where we're just looking for, it's like, just show me the right thing to do, and I'll do it. And I just, I I don't have time to go into all the the reasons why that's bad, and it's not healthy, but I'm going to give you just a few real quick, okay? You don't need to write them down, just be really quick. Number one, it doesn't work. It does not work. Because people are not like the ingredients to a cake, where you just throw some things together, you do the right thing, and blah, 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 and everything turns out the way you want it to be. It doesn't work with people. I know people who have done the right thing and I'm one of them and it just seems like the circumstances and the situations just don't turn out the way I anticipated or the way I thought the recipe said they were going to turn out. So it just, it doesn't work. Uh, The second thing uh, about this is that that particular uh, approach, it it produces a rules-based religion that's void of God. Because the name of the game is to know what the recipe is, work the recipe, and, and do that. So it's incumbent, the main character in that whole thing is me, or it's you. You need to know what the recipe is, you need to follow the recipe, and just do what it says. So now you become a principle-oriented guy. So now your, your perspective now is the principle, or the principles, or the guidelines, or the rules, or the commands. And all of a sudden now it's void of God. You're not trusting in Jesus and what He accomplished for us as we're singing here this morning, what He did for us on the cross, the fact that He set us free from sin. He rescued us from our selfishness, from our, you know, uh, the slavery that we were into to sin. He paid our debt. You're not, that's not what's behind it. What's behind it instead is that you're just looking to trust these principles, these rules. And so all of a sudden now you're not trusting Jesus, it's void of God. It's just you doing your thing. And so it's not helpful. And then lastly, it can misread the circumstances because you can do all the right things and then in the end, it doesn't turn out and the conclusion you come to is, well, I must have done something wrong. I followed the recipe, I did what I was supposed to do and it still turned out wrong. Either that or now God's mad at me. So now you're coming to conclusions that are just who knows where they're from. And so I just want to encourage you regardless of what phase of life you're in, regardless of what you're looking to the scriptures for, do not take a prescriptive approach to the word of God. That's not the purpose. God didn't write the word and give us the word of God just as a, as a, a rule book or a handbook for life. You guys have, uh, we all have, uh, uh, what's it, user manuals for your utilities, you know, like your refrigerator, your microwave. Does anybody know where their user manuals are? Look at that. Hardly any of you. A few of you do. Okay? When was the last time you read your user manual? Never. Never. The Bible is not a user manual for how to live. It's a book that reveals God's redemptive relationship with man- mankind, past, present, and future. And in that relationship, we see how awesome he is, how glorious he is, how magnificent he is, what he's done for us, and just like what Mitch was saying when he was talking about that wedding ring, it's just like when you see that, it creates in us an awe and a wonder of who God is, and out of that, we relate to other people, to our circumstances and all that, so I just want, as we get into this, this text is going to seem very prescriptive, and I just want to encourage you, don't do that, okay? Don't follow it, because it will not help you in the long run. Okay, so let's go to that. Uh, Chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, what Jess read, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, as a father, I love this verse. I want my kids to memorize it. I want them to quote it to me. Uh, I want them to be able to call it to mind. Uh, When they disobey, I will call it to their mind. And I will use it as a rod of correction for them. Especially when they get to be teenagers. What's the matter with you? Don't you want to be like Jesus? That's why we took you to Sunday school all those years. Obey me. What's it say? Uh, Children obey their parents. What's those two words? In everything. Right, in everything. Okay, here's my job. I tell you what to do. Your job is to do what I say. Get it? Got it? Good. Okay, we're good. Here we go. Now, we wouldn't say that. If you do say that to your kids, I want to talk to you afterwards, okay? But we probably don't say that. But yet in our mind, that's what we think we've got here. We think we've got a blank check from God that we can just basically beat our kids over the head with. And we can demand their obedience. We can demand their respect. We can demand their submission. Well, I just, I hate to break it to you. That's not the interpretation of this particular passage. That's not exactly what it means. Now, Brian has mentioned up until the, we're going through this series. This is a letter, obviously, from um, the Apostle Paul to this church in Colossae. Up until this point in the letter, he's basically focused in on good theology, right theology and making sure that that's a foundation in people's lives. And so when he gets to this section in chapter 3, he's basically saying now that you've got the right theology, you understand what's going on, and it's being applied to your life. This is the outflow of that right theology. Okay? So that's what he's saying. So there are some assumptions that are going on here. So first of all, what is the right theology that he's talking about? Well... I think it can be summed up in a couple verses in chapter 1. If you're in Colossians 3, go back to Colossians chapter 1 and look in verse 16 and 17. It's referring to Jesus. So every time it says him, we're going to say Jesus. We'll just plug his name in here, okay? And Paul says this. All things were created through Jesus... And for Jesus. Now let's just stop right there. So first lesson is this. All things have come from Jesus, and all things are for Jesus. And then he goes on to say, verse 17. And Jesus is before all things, so he's preeminent, he's first. And in him all things hold together. He holds it all together. So let me summarize this in four words for you, okay? It's all about Jesus. Jesus. That's the foundational truth Paul wants us to get. And he's assuming we have in place when he gives this command to the kids. It is all about Jesus. The most popular nonfiction book next to the Bible that's ever been written was written by Rick Warren, Purpose Driven Life. And the first words in that book are this It's not about you. It's not about you. For some reason, there's something within all of us that wants to make all of life about us. Whether you're a parent, it doesn't matter what state. We want to make, for me, I'll speak for me. I want to make my job about me. I want to make my career about me. I want to make my income about me. I want to make my neighborhood about me. I want to make my marriage about me, my poor wife. I want to make... My car about me. I want to make everything, my stuff, I want to make it all about me. I want to make my kids about me. And the foundational truth that God wants to put in our hearts and that he's assuming is there with this command is that Jesus is preeminent in our life. Because listen, guys, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. Years ago when I was in college, I was a part of a Christian group on campus and uh, I had the opportunity to live with the, the director of this particular ministry, him and his wife, and they had two girls. At one point in time, their daughter, Jenny, she was two years old. Uh, Brent and Mary, the mom and dad, had bought a rocking chair. And they brought it home. It was a beautiful rocking chair. And somewhere along the lines, Jenny got a hold of their car keys. And she took their car keys and scratched that rocking chair Brett came out of his bedroom, he saw what Jenny was doing, and he just lost it. And he yelled at her and screamed at her, he picked her up, took the keys away. He knew he couldn't deal with it right now because he was too angry. He took her into the bedroom, shut the door, went back in the living room, looked at what she had done. It was just, the whole bottom thing was just scratched. And he's just fuming. And in that moment, he felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, Hey, Brett. Whose rocking chair is that anyway? And it was like, Ugh. Okay, Lord, it's your rocking chair. And it felt like the Lord said, That's right, and I had Jenny autograph it for me. <laughs> and I don't think they cleared off the keychain marks. I think they left the scratches on there. Listen guys, life is not about us. It's never about us. It's about Jesus. And everything we have is from Him, for Him, through Him, and to Him. And we do very, very well to remember that. And once we get that in place, when we, when we have a, an understanding of the preeminence of Jesus in our life, here's what it causes you to do it causes you to trust Him. It causes you to trust Jesus. It just does. Um, the last year, probably maybe a little over a year, I've entered a whole new phase of life for me. I'm self-employed. I've got my own business. And it's really weird because uh, now you can say, oh, I own my own business and, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And it, don't, don't be overly impressed. It's not impressive. But anyway, it, it does make you pray. Because when you're on salary, you don't tend to pray for your income because it's just pretty. But when you're self-employed and you have your own business, you pray for income. And those of you who are self-employed know exactly what I'm talking about. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what I find, I have to check my attitude at times because it's like, okay, why am I praying for income? Well, number one, I don't want to be broke. I want to be able to pay my bills. But number two, it's like, okay, do, what am I going to do with this income once I get it? Do I, do I have the understanding this is my income or is this Jesus' income? So I'm praying all the time. God, listen, I don't lay claim. For me, listen, guys, I don't trust money. The psalmist says, it flies like like the eagle's wings. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. I do not trust money. So I'm constantly praying, praying for provision, but I'm asking God, look, you do with it what you want to do. It's not mine, it's not Gail's. We're going to do with it what you want. And so when you live with that understanding that Jesus is preeminent, it causes you to trust him. You trust him for everything. Things that you didn't, but why? Because it's all for him. So you're constantly praying. You're asking him for wisdom. You're asking him for grace. You're asking him for mercy. But it's all, you're much more cognizant of what it is to trust Jesus. And when you trust Jesus, you become a safe place for your kids. Let me show you a couple of scriptures. Psalm 125, verse 1. If you have your black, black Bibles, you can turn to page 517. 517 in those black Bibles. Psalm 125. We're going to look at verse 1. He says this. Psalm 125, verse 1. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot... Be moved. Doesn't say it won't move, says it cannot be moved, but abides forever. That is an amazing picture. So let me ask you, how are you doing with that? Are you pretty steadfast? You pretty solid? You trusting the Lord? I mean, let's just face it, it's hard. It's hard. It's not easy. But when we do trust the Lord, we become a safe place for our kids. Look in also go to page 645, Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8, page 645. It says, verse 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water, that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That is a great picture of someone who trusts the Lord. And we know that this is what he's getting at because in the last part of this verse, in Colossians 3 where it says, children, obey your parents and everything, it adds this little thing on at the end for this pleases the Lord. And you think, so? I mean, that's what I think when I read it. I think, so why, why is that important? Is Jesus out for behavior modification? Is that what he wants from our kids? Just their obedience? So when they, when they obey me, he's pleased with them. When they don't obey me, he's not pleased with them. Is that what he's saying? That's not what he's saying. He's assuming something here. He's assuming that parents have in place the truth that he's been writing about up until this point, the truth that Jesus is preeminent in all things. And when they have that in place, they are trusting in the Lord and they're creating this safe environment and the kids will obey. In fact, they're commanded to obey their parents in everything. Why? Because their parents are a safe place. Because they understand they're walking in the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ in their life. Listen, you want to be a great parent, I want to be a great parent, you want to be a good employee, even if you're not a parent, you want to be a good student, you want to be a good roommate, you want to, whatever it is, recognize and live with the understanding that Jesus is preeminent in everything. That is the best thing you could possibly do. It will absolutely alter your life if you're not already doing it. And it will determine how you treat and respond, not only to other people, but to every circumstance that comes into your life. Because now every circumstance that comes into your life is through Jesus, for Jesus, to Jesus. It's all about him. So regardless of whether you're a parent or not, live with the sense and the understanding that Jesus is preeminent in all things. And that's what he's encouraging us to do here. Now, let's go on to verse 21. Colossians 3. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, I find this very interesting. That Paul does not tell fathers the same thing that he tells the kids. In terms of, I would expect, he said to the kids, Children, obey your parents in uh, uh, in everything, for this pleases the Lord. I would expect Paul to say, Fathers, don't provoke your children, for this pleases the Lord. But he doesn't say that. He says, don't provoke your kids." lest they become discouraged. He's already assuming that you're living a life that's pleasing to the Lord because he's preeminent in all things. But there's something else he's saying. Now, out of all the things that Paul could say to parents, think about this for a little bit. Out of all the things he could say to those of us who are parents, he says this, don't provoke your kids. Now, really, honestly, I I, want to say, come on, Paul, you could have done better than that. I mean, I need some help here. I got kids who are off the rails. I mean, they're, I'm, you know, and, and you're telling me not to provoke my kids. I'm way past provoking my kids. That was so last year. I mean, I'm, just, I'm on to thinking, you know, thoughts about murder. I mean, come on, I got, I want, I hope these kids don't die, you know, and you're saying don't provoke them? Is that the best you've got? A few weeks ago, Brian, in one of the messages in this series, he brought, I, he brought up a great point. I'd never heard it before, and I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant point about discouragement. I'm sure he got it from someone else. <laughs> <laughs> He's not here, so I can say that. He made the point, he said, discouragement is a huge, I'm, this is my paraphrase, I'm going to get it wrong. Discouragement is a huge, huge, factor huge influence or negative influence in regard to faith. And Paul's saying here, discouragement is a mammoth negative influence in regard to obedience. Not just for kids, but for all of us. I'm trying to lose weight. Okay? It ain't working very well okay so I'm trying hard I'm running a little bit I'm trying to not eat so many sweets a little bit so the thing I don't really like to do though I do is to get on the scale I my scales broke first of all I don't know what the problem is but I get on it it tells me what I weigh and I just look at it I say, you liar you, you know? <laughs> repent and uh, do you know what happens when I get on scale after seven days of not weighing myself? And I'm thinking, great, I, I feel better, I look better, I'm sure I've lost five pounds. I look and I gain two pounds. What is it? Do you know how I feel? I feel discouraged. You know what I do when I feel discouraged about not losing weight? I go to my freezer and I eat my ice cream. <laughs> Why in the world do I do that? I do the very thing I don't want to do. By the way, if you haven't tried Walmart's decadent fudge ice cream, it is the best. I'm just telling you, it's the best. I used to be a Moose Tracks guy, but decadent fudge is the best. Take my word on it, okay? If you like chocolate. But he's like, that's kind of weird. Why don't I just say, look, Rick, you had a hard week, you were under stress. Come on, you can do it. Just keep at it. You'll lose the weight. Come on, it's a long haul. You're in it for the long haul. I don't do that. I get discouraged. That's what I do. I quit. I just quit. Gail and I, we've been married 33 years this July. One of the hardest things that we, I know, I feel the same way, whoever did that, yeah. (laughs) Pity my wife. One of the hard things for me in regard to marriage is communication. Now you would think after 33 stinking years, I'd figure this thing out, but I, my brain is still, I'm still a male, so I just, I can't, I can't help it. So. I still say dumb things. I still don't listen well. I still don't communicate well. And so it's just like, how long, you know, how long's this going to take? And I completely forgot the point I was going to make here. See, you get old age and it just goes right by the wayside. So we just forget that. Anyway, so we'll just move (laughs) right along. Oh, discouragement. Now I remember. (laughs) So you're in the middle of trying to get these things resolved. See, now you know what Gail's got to go through. So you're in the middle of trying to get... And it's just like, at, you hear your voice. Once again, you're talking. It's like, this is so much hard work. We're just talking about this little bitty thing. Why is this hard? And you hear this voice say, just forget it. And I'm not saying just run away and divorce. <laughs> but you just want to just say, it's not worth This is it. We're done for today. And, you just, and that's what discouragement does, guys. And so listen, as a parent, One of the most important things, one of the most important things you can do is to not provoke your kids. Because it creates a climate where they will grow discouraged. And if they grow discouraged, you will lose their heart. That doesn't mean you can't get it back. God can help you with that. But I'm just saying it can be very, very difficult. And you just think about, even if you're not a parent, if you're at work. How many of you enjoy working with someone who's always negative? And they're just always, they're complaining and they're griping and just nothing's ever good and blah, 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 and blah, 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 blah. It just creates a culture, it's like, I don't, this isn't helping our relationship. This isn't helping the, the thing. Now, I'm not just talking about let's just be happy people and blah blah. You know that that's not what I'm talking. About. This is way deeper than that. But I am saying there's application for all of us in this. But for those of us who are parents, and your kids are still in your home, don't provoke them because they'll grow discouraged. And yet, so many times, how do we treat? How do we? How do we deal with our kids? Hey, don't do that. How many times i got to tell you? Don't do that. Hey, what are you doing? Hey, don't, don't, why, what do you say? Come on, say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. you. Come on, please, 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 please. Is that a real culture of encouragement? Kids are scared to death sometimes. They don't want to cross the boundaries with mom and dad. They don't want to do that. And God wants us to not provoke them. So, I understand that this is exhausting. Not just raising kids. Raising kids is indeed exhausting. As a grandpa, I'm at that age now where anything's exhausting. Okay, so I have to be careful with little ones. Once they begin to talk, you have to be careful because once you start something, you're in it for the long haul. So you know, you put them on your knee, ride a little horse seat, so take me down, to ride a little horse seat, so take down. To and then once you get done with that, what do they say? Look at you and say again. I can do this. So you. After about the 50th time, it's like, horsey needs a break, okay? And then they get a little bit older where they start disobeying. We've got at our place, we've got a, a fireplace. It's a gas fireplace. And and uh, in the wintertime, it's usually always on. Uh, and so we just thought when the grandkids are there, obviously we don't use it in the summertime, but to make it easy for them, we've got some ceramic tile in front of the fireplace. We say, look, just don't step on the ceramic tile. That's off bounds. And that's... That's a no-no. So Adara, Seth and Shannon's oldest, who at the time I think was about two, she's at our place, and, and Gail, my wife's given giving Adara instructions. Shannon, her mom, is just sitting, Adara's mom, is just sitting a few feet away on the couch. So Gail's telling Adara, Adara, don't, we don't step on the ceramic because the fire is hot, even though it wasn't on at the time. And so she explains it all. I thought she did a marvelous job. I'm looking at Adara, and she looks at Gail. She looks over at Shannon, and she takes her foot, and she goes right on the ceramic tile. And I'm thinking, oh, you're going to (coughs) die. You think, what is it with kids? You explain it to them very intelligently. It makes sense. It's, we should be good to go. And they still do the opposite of what you're saying. And not only do they do it once, they do it again, and again, and again, and again. Then, when they get a little bit older, Then they start getting attitudes thrown in with their disobedience. Now they're throwing temper tantrums. Now they're screaming at the top of their lungs because you're wanting them to share their toys with their sister and their brother or their cousin. And they don't want to share their toys. And they want everybody to know they don't want to do that. And it just goes on and on. It's not just like if it happened once a month, it's like I could live with this. But it doesn't happen once a month. It doesn't happen once a week. It happens every day on the hour again and again and again. And it's exhausting. Some of you who aren't parents are facing these kind of things in your work or maybe in your school. And it's like, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I don't know if I can do this anymore. Listen, I just want you to know I get it. I understand. But God understands as well and he his grace is readily readily available and my advice my counsel to you is don't provoke your kids you're going to have to help your mate you're going to have to remind them about things cuz they need they need help you may have to get on the phone and call some people but just don't provoke your kids now i want to give you Three things that you can do, or three things that are significant. Now, once again, I want to I want to warn you: don't. This is not a prescription. Don't take it as prescriptive. Three things you can do that will help create a culture in your home that where it's basically a safe place for your kids. And one of them we've already talked about, and that's that to uh, to accept and grab a hold of the preeminence of Jesus in all things. If you grab hold of that, once again, that will cause you to trust Jesus. And if you'll trust Jesus in everything, that will bleed out in your relationship with your kids. I remember one time, I can't remember which son it was, uh, it doesn't really matter, but they were a teenager, and they had felt like we treated them unfairly for something, so we were having what I call one of these high volume discussions. We were yelling at each other, okay? and it's getting pretty intense and so finally I said look, here's the deal God somehow in all his infinite wisdom decided to give you, us as parents, so you know what you take this up with God that's his problem, not mine we didn't ask for you we wanted a kid we didn't know it was going to be like this this is what we got This is what you got. If you're having a problem with us, you pray and you take it up with God and see what he says to you. And we'll pray for you. You just point him to Jesus. You just point him to Jesus. I never felt like I had all the answers. My boys knew I never had all the answers. I can't tell you the number of times I've apologized to my boys. More than what I care to admit. But just, when you live with the preeminence of Jesus in your life, it just, it causes you to be real with him. There's no pretense. And you're just always doing the best you can to point him to Jesus. Second thing is you daily, you walk daily in the reality of God's grace. Walk daily in the reality of God's unmerited grace. Most of you arrived here to this building this morning in a car. Is God's grace that you have that car. You may not own that car, but that's okay. It's still by God's grace that you're making payments on your car. It's by God's grace that you put that expensive gasoline in your car this morning. If you walked, the fact that you had legs to walk here is God's grace. The fact that you and I are even breathing today is a gift of God. And when we get a clear understanding... Of how gracious God is to us day by day by day it affects everybody that we come in contact with. I was listening to a message a while back to pastor out-of-state church he's quite well known speaks at conferences all across, across the country and he and his wife their teenage son was going through a, quite a rebellious stage and they took away his cell phone. I think he's 18, 17 years old, senior in high school at the time. And they didn't just take it away, I think they threw it out. I mean it was pretty bad. I mean they threw it out. And uh, so he was going to this conference, so he sat down with his teenage son. He says, Look, I do not want to get a text from your mother saying that you didn't listen and didn't obey to her, obey her. Okay, I'm only gonna be gone for 48 hours. You can do this. 48 hours just to obey your mom. I don't want to hear that you were you were mean or rude or or whatever, disrespectful. 48 hours. We come back. If you if you do that, I'll take you to the phone store. Got it? Got it. So he goes off to speaking engagement. While he's there, he gets a text from his wife. He's doing it again. And he thought, ugh. 48 stinking hours. What is so hard about that? Come on. So he flies in back home. He's driving now from the airport to his house. And he's just going over the whole speech he's going to give to his son. What's the matter with you? You realize it's going to cost you your phone for months now. Blah, blah. And in the middle of this whole thing, he feels like the Lord speaks to him and says, take him to the phone store and get him a phone. And it's like, you are kidding me. So he goes home, he gets along with his son. He said, what happened? I just asked you to be nice to your mom for 48 hours. You can't even do that. What's the deal? And so he says, I'm sorry. And he can tell he's repentant. And after a long time, he finally says, look, get your shoes on. We're going to the phone store. I'm going to get you a phone. And his son just starts crying. He said, why? I don't deserve it. And he said, I know, but God takes me to the phone store every day, so I'm taking you. Listen guys, whether you're a parent, a teen, a single, whatever, God takes you to the phone store every single day of your life. And most of the time, you and I don't even know it. We take it so for granted. But when we get a revelation, understanding of God's grace to us, how can you withhold grace to anyone else, especially your kids? Don't do that. Don't do that. Live, ask God. If you don't have a clear understanding of the grace of God and how good he's been, then just ask him for it. He'll gladly give it to you. He'll gladly give it to you. And then lastly, as often as you can, remind yourself, remind your mate that your children are a gift from God. Now sometimes you have to do some pretty powerful talking to get that. But you need to remind yourself, folks. I'm a real estate investor. Yesterday I was out looking at a home, possibly purchase, and the gal who was the tenant was a 78-year-old lady. She was showing me some of the bedrooms in the home and it was obvious that there were some young men who lived there because they were messy. And uh, she said, I raised my grandkids. And I said, really? I said, uh, you know, what what was that situation? She said, well, my daughter died 13 years ago. I said, I'm so sorry. I said, how did she die? She said, spinal meningitis. I said, how old was she? She said, 40 years old. I said, how long? From the time of her death, how long before she died did you know she had meningitis? And she said, 13 days. She came home from work. She said, Mom, I'm sick. I feel like I've got the flu. She said, well, go to bed, honey. She went to bed, couldn't get up the next morning, couldn't move her head. Mom took the boys to school, came home, and she said my daughter was out of her mind. Twelve days later, she passed away. Listen, guys, we've got no promise in regard to how long we get these kids. They are a gift from God. And even though right now they are driving you absolutely berserk, there will come a day when they will be gone. So while they're here, enjoy them. They're a wonderful, wonderful gift from God. They may not do everything. Well, it's not they may not. They will not do everything you want them to do. But you know what? He's put them in your life partly to work on you. He's got things he has for you. And he's going to use your kids to do it. Go ahead and get out your communication.